I, am, I could tell you guys the locker room pregame. I could tell you the pregame field feel. I could tell you what the first quarter felt like, the temperature in the air, the, the volume of the stadium. I can still see the, the students from Boise on the sideline like it was just yesterday. And as soon as the clock hit zero, them going to the goalposts. I, I, I will never forget it. And honest to God, it is one of the, the worst days of my life. And, and people say, oh, it's just a game. It's not. Welcome back, Tribe from the North Brave and Bold to the official unofficial podcast of your Idaho Vandals and the Vandals affiliate on the Big Sky Podcast Network. I'm your host, Chris Hammond, and with me today, as always, I have Brian Marceau. Hey guys, great to be back. And today's episode is going to be really fun. I, a lot of people have been waiting since we brought the Spotlight series to you. Uh, we'll be breaking down the 2020 quarterbacks going into the year. We figured no better way to do that than bring in a former Vandal quarterback himself, Eric Heisaw. How you doing, Eric? Hey, I am great. Excited to be here tonight. Yeah, we're, we're, we are very happy to have you on. Uh, we'll, we'll start out with a little bit of interview with Eric, and then we'll... We'll go into our kind of our 2016 Potato Bowl rewatchables, cover some generic Idaho Vandal news, uh, and then we'll cover those 2020 Vandal quarterback prospects for you guys. So hopefully it's a good episode, and we want to thank our sponsor, Montucky Cold Snacks, for bringing you this episode. Ain't nothing like cracking a Montucky Cold Snack, an ultra-refreshing light beer born in majestic big sky country. The best part is when you crack a snack, you're giving back. Montucky Cold Snacks donates 8% of all profits back to local causes, even right here in Idaho. Supporting organizations like the CW Hogs and the Idaho Food Bank. Yeehaw! That's freaking awesome. Montucky Cold Snacks, the light American lager for pow pow rippers, gator wranglers, pony riders, and badass do-gooders. Visit MontuckyColdSnacks.com today to find out how to get your ass some snacks. So we have Eric Heisaw on with us, and uh, you were quarterback for 94-95. So if you want, just start with kind of your uh, your journey to becoming a Vandal and then getting to spend two years at the Helms under center. Yeah. You know, it was it was a rare one, and honestly, I probably did it really, really backwards. Um, I always wanted to be a Husky, um, and that's, I just I grew up – loving um, UW, and I thought at some point I, I might be the first quarterback to lead UW to four Rolls Bowls, but that didn't come to fruition at all. Um, in the meantime, I kind of uh, kind of enthralled uh, Idaho when I was a hockey fan. I was a group fan. Um, and honestly, uh, still today, I have a brother who's a group, um, but I still say go dogs and go hands. Um, but I, I, I started to watch Idaho as a quarterback, uh, throwing the ball a bunch. And I was able to see John Freeze in, in person a couple times um, and Stevie Nolan as well. And so that kind of came to those eras. Um, for the team, I was taken. And um, I thought the Cape Dome was awesome, and I wanted to go somewhere that won. Um, I was really fortunate playing in high school just out of Spokane. We had played two state title games. And lost in the semis my senior year. Um, so I, I didn't want to lose because we just had it there. Um, and uh, just got fortunate. They had seen my team. Outlander at that point was the recruiting coordinator for my area. Uh, and he started recruiting me as a, as a junior and saw my, my, my track times. Um, followed me pretty close my senior year and went to 
there are quite a few um, football games. One is a basketball game in Canville. At that time, she played in the Frontier League, which is Pullman and Carpenter and Colville, West Valley, East Valley, Spokane, etc. And so to come down in that area a couple of times, it was easy for Coach Linehan to get across the border to see me play. Uh, and they thought I was good enough to come play for them, so they offered me right before December. I remember it was right about my dad's birthday. Um, and Coach Smith uh, jumped on the phone after Coach Linehan called me and said, hey, we don't want to play against you. We'd love to have you be a vandal and, and throw the ball for us. And I accepted right there on the phone. Hadn't really been on campus other than to watch a game twice. Had never talked to a person in the program or, or a coach other than really anything other than I just knew they threw the ball a lot and they never lost. And that, to me, was what, what I wanted. Um, I also come a place that was away from home, um, but it, it was two hours away. If any were some kind of emergency that um, I, I got calm or mom would come down if we need to, it was a way that I could be myself. That's how it came to be. I just had, I love my five years there, like, uh, like most people. Yeah. Um, I, I love that. That's, that's a perfect, I feel like that's every quarterback recruit's dream is they win a lot and they throw the ball even more. <laughs> it, it's, it's kind of the way you want to talk, right? I mean, against Air Force and Army and their quarterbacks are talented in their own right, but I would much rather throw the rock 35 to 40 times a game than to run it and get pounded. But, um, and, and like to say, you know, the dome is always 70, so it's, it's comfortable and warm inside. That yep. helps too. Yep. So you did play for... I mean, some would say maybe the, one of the, if not the greatest Vandal coach, one of the arguably greatest Vandal coaches, and John L. Smith. What was that kind of like? He was absolutely awesome. You know, um, I, there's so many things that I, that I take away as a, as a coach here in Walla Walla, uh, Washington, Walla Walla High School. I, I've, this is my 22nd year being a head track coach, and I was head football coach for eight years, and I coached uh, the assistant for a previous uh, seven to, t- to nine or so on there, and there's so many things from John Nell that I take away. And, and um, the guy was just genuine. You know, his door was always open. Um, he, he spoke to you like a man, but he loved you like a dad. And he, I don't think he ever hit a thing. Um, he just told you how it was going to be because he believed in honesty and being up front and you're going to handle it and you're going to accept the challenge. Um, and he was going to love you tough and he was going to love you, love you true. And uh, I, I, I loved playing for a guy like John L. With that, you know, obviously – John L. Smith had a, a little bit of a difficult decision, but it kind of came about, I believe, strictly because of your knee injury that you suffered against Eastern Washington in 94, where you were the starter originally, then yeah. got hurt, and then Brian Brennan took over, and then it was kind of a battle the rest of the season, correct? Uh, yeah, it was. Um, I wouldn't say it's much a battle. In fact, I, I just literally couldn't move. Um, yeah, I was. Uh, and, and going into that season, it was kind of where you know, backing up Nuss, um, one of my dear friends. We still keep in touch today. And um, Coach and I talked about tough love and honesty. He just called me and said, "Hi, say here's the deal." Says, "I do you need to separate from Brian, or are you going to play defense?" So I think you're an NFL guy on that side of the ball, but I know you love offense. And I'm um, going to give you know this week to kind of figure out practice. And if you aren't any better, then because right now, I'm not saying you're not better. So that if I'm going to play a junior over a freshman, you got to separate more. Before the freshman has four years to play, you have two. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was it was devastating. Uh, but I respected him for saying it in, in person. So um, I kind of came back out the next two days, and I probably had the best two practices of my life. And I'm not sure why it wasn't. I was more focused. Um, but maybe you just you say here's how it's going. You know, you just played. Didn't think as much. I don't know. But so going in the fall, yeah, I was, I was number one. Um, still had a battle, and, and we had a great start um, as, as a team. Uh, I mean, 
you know, my, my good buddy Jason Shelton tore his ACL against UNLV, um, and then I ended up tearing mine literally in that Eastern game. Um, and uh, then Brian took over that game. Um, and of course, the Eastern game was obviously you know off against my hometown <laughs> in Cheney. So it's one of those double-edged swords deal. But it's 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 life as football. And so um, got hurt then. Um, there was a lot of, of mystery as to what happened. And uh, you know, my trainer Barry Steele, who I loved to death, thought it was ACL. Another guy thought it might have been my PCL, they weren't sure that the MRI um, came back really cloudy. And what they finally found out was that my ACL had torn somewhere previously and it had adhered to my posterior cruciate. And the pop that I felt and heard was that scar tissue breaking loose. And so um, I told the coaches then and said, Hey, you, you, you can't, I can't go into the knife. We've got Brian who's never played mm-hmm. and Robert Scott who has never played. And if I, if I go on the knife, you have two quarterback, then that's it. Um, and at that point they said, kind of cool. So great. So, um, I rehabbed like crazy, um, told coach, I thought I could play against Montana. I know I couldn't play the, the previous, the, the next week. Um, but Montana was three weeks away and he goes, man, you got to really prove to me that you can. So, uh, they fitted me with a really good brace and with various help in the training staff, I was able to get strong enough to, to go play. Um, and I still think it's a game we should have won there in Missoula. We had some, um, costly mistakes as a program that I think in that first half, they really kind of turned the tides, but um, that's, it's a team game. And so we're not going to say any more than that, but it was, it was a game we had in our grasp in the first half and it kind of got away from us, but um, I got beat up pretty good in that game. I wasn't as mobile as, as I was. Um, and so I wasn't able to avoid a lot, a lot of pressure um, and not from poor pass pro, but just they heated us up a little bit and they brought more than we could block. And I just couldn't get out and get away much, but that game kind of did me in. Um, so I waited the whole season to, to have surgery so I could still at least be a holder uh, for Wolverton, keep him some consistency there. And then if, if something happened to Brian, um, then there's at least someone they could put in to hand the ball off if Robert had to play or they could put me in shotgun. We could throw it literally like, you know, 85 times a game <laughs> just because there was nowhere else to go to. And so then uh, I had surgery January 6th. Um, and that's kind of when, when the comeback came. Yeah, that, at that time, it was Chris Tormey because John L. had moved on to Utah State. Um, and that was the, the, the tough part with, with coach Tormey and coach Olson. Um, and Ole was awesome. He was there the entire time. Um, Greg Olson, whom I'm referring to, he's the OC now with the Raiders. Um, and is one of my dear friends. And, um, it was, it was a rough deal because he came back in a fall ball and Brian was the one and Robert was the two and Robert still hadn't played it down. And, um, I, coach Ole and I again had a great heart to heart, uh, as good friends and coaches and, um, I was able to earn the starting spot against uh, Oregon State, and we were tied at halftime, and I think it was 7-7. And uh, I had a really bad opening series of the second half. It was just terrible. And I still can remember a, a ball I, I threw like a two-year-old to Avery Griggs on a tight end screen that probably he's still running today um, <laughs> going down our sideline down Corvallis. Uh, and they pulled me, and probably rightfully so. Um, and that's when Brian played that half. We ended up losing 14-10. Uh, down Oregon State, and then we split time against Sonoma, and then uh, Brian played the full game against Idaho State, uh, and unfortunately we lost. And then um, I forget the next game there. And then they gave me a little shot toward the last eight minutes of the Montana State game. Um, uh, we were kind of down, and you kind of ride the troops, and then I, I kind of earned enough on that spark to finish the rest of the year off. But it was tough, of course, for me. You know, I'd, I only played really five games as a junior. Um, and then the sixth game, I was hurt against Montana, and Brian had had a, gr- a really good back half of the year, um, his freshman year. And he was a six foot five, two hundred twenty pound kid. And I can see why coach says, "Man, 
this guy is going to probably be the future. Let's let's go with him. And um, Brian struggled a little bit for whatever reason um, and not lack of effort. And we still remain friends and talked about it a bunch. And, and that was the great thing about, I, I think, uh, part of what John L. had instilled, and I think Coach Olson too, is that Brian and I worked film together. Uh, he was there at the training with me trying to rehab, but we've never had animosity or, you know, someone's trying to outdo the guy because we hate him. And just, he, Brian felt bad for me and I was mad he was playing. Um, but we, we got along really well. Um, and so that was a huge help without the whole ordeal, but it was tough. Um, there's, there's, there's no, uh, no lie about it, but it was one of those deals that the, the team rallied around both of us. And then, uh, you know, we, we uh, had a little spark there because Montana State almost came back and won. And then uh, Coach Tormey brought me in the next uh, week and said, hey, we're going to go with you. You showed a little spark for us. We're going to see what happens. And then I think we rallied off five of the next six um, and finished really, really hot. And uh, that's, those are, that's what, what a great way to go out. So, yeah, it was, it was a really rocky up and down. But, again, it, it makes you a better person. And I know that as, as a coach today, those are all things that I think kind of prepped me for uh, what I'm dealing with with high school kids today. Yeah. Uh one thing that uh, I don't know if you probably wish this wasn't, you know, a part of kind of being a part of that 94 team, a, a team that obviously had tons of promise. You kind of touched on it, but with some uncertainty at quarterback due to your guy, you being injured and Brian being a freshman, uh, it was actually Idaho's first loss to Boise State mm-hmm. since 1981. Yep. Uh, what do you kind of remember from that game? Cause you were on the sideline I, for the whole game, correct? You did not get back in in that? The only time I got in was to hold. And I I could tell you guys the locker room pregame. I could tell you the pregame field feel. I could tell you what the first quarter felt like, the temperature in the air, the, the volume of the stadium. I can still see the, the students from Boise on the sideline like it was just yesterday, crowding on, on the corner of the field. And as soon as the clock hit zero – them going to the goalposts. I, I, I will never forget it. And honest to God, it is one of the the worst days of my life. And and people say, oh, it's just a game. It's not. <laughs> it, it it it's not. And it's 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 something that I I will never forget because it was the hopeless feeling of there's nothing I can do to help mm-hmm. this, and nothing. And again, I, I said, no, my good buddy Jason Schelt, because we rehabbed everything together with our ACLs. We're like, oh man, this just sucks. You know, there, there's nothing we can do, and we're trying to help coach. And you know, he's helping. You know, the linebackers that are playing, trying to figure things out, and I'm trying to help Brian. And I'm talking to Oli, and it's not like we weren't involved. We can only do so much mentally to help, but, but the physical part and the emotional part, man, it was it was just devastating because um, we struggled in the first half, both offensively and defensively, for whatever reason. I think we were probably a little bit tight, and nervous, and then we played a really good second half. Um, but they made some great plays on their end. They really, really did. Uh, Tony Hilde had a great game. You got to tip your cap to him as a quarterback and some of the great tough plays he made, the athletic throws, and their kids made great grabs. Uh, and in the end, they ended up making more plays than us. Uh, I, I still, to this day, do not believe they're the better team, and I, I would love to go play them tomorrow <laughs> at 47 <laughs> years old <laughs> with the same guys and see what would happen. But it was it's one of those things that, yeah, it was a, it's a horrid memory uh, to be a part of that in the group because I think it, after that it should have been 15 years in a row and unfortunately it wasn't and uh, it just it's what it is yeah and then 94 ended in uh, a playoff appearance and to a team that we'll, we'll talk about here very shortly sure 95 um, Brian why don't you kind of take away 95 because there was a pretty big moment in there that involves um, a team that you are pretty familiar with yeah, so 
actually one of the reasons I was stoked about having Eric on is Eric, you are the very first Vandal quarterback I ever saw play live. And wow, that's a long time ago. Um, yeah, it's in it's in the it's actually it's in the '95 season. Uh, we'll get to yeah, we'll, we'll jump to that in a second. Um, yeah, the '95 season. Um, now '94 ended in the first round playoff loss to McNeese State, but um, back then one double A was not. We didn't have the first round where right the, the eight teams have a bye. It was just the top 16 in the nation. That was it. Yeah, and, um, and, so, we, and we went down there. I think at number four, and I think they were number three in the first round. How stupid! is <laughs> okay, before we jump into '95, do you do you know any of the logistics that put that matchup, or is it just like some dumb luck of the draw? I don't have a clue. It makes absolutely no sense, honest to goodness. It, it just is. It, I go came back to the year before with Nuss and those guys and, and Robbie in '93 when we played over at the Ice Box at Youngtown State in the semis. And you think about it, we couldn't have played in the dome. Um, and although I think Youngstown was ranked higher, but gosh, we were number one in the, in the nation almost all gosh dang year long after beating Utah. And again, that was I was a holder. I did I did nothing with that season. Um, but as that might have been the best team the school's ever had. And you know we're ahead at halftime, and then we lose because we can't throw the ball because the wind's blowing 35 miles an hour. It's 24 below at the wind chill. Um, but the but the year later, yeah, how is how is three and a four or maybe even a four and a five meet in the first round? I will never know, honest to goodness, in, in, in the scheme of, of a, a bracket, there's no sense in that at all. Yeah, you know, absolutely not. And if, if the Wikipedia rankings correct from 1994, you guys opened the season as number 10, and that was mm-hmm. your worst ranking. Yeah, we, I, guys, yeah I, I think we beat Lost America, I think it was one against three then. We, we played Montana, I think. Yep, yeah. Yep. That, you were three, Montana was one. Yeah. Uh, when you lost to Boise State, you were the three. Boise State was the six. Mm-hmm. Like, it was a good good year. It, it, I mean, you made oh. a good point. It might be arguably one of the best Vandal teams ever assembled. The fact, I, I don't know off the top of my head at a time that we never were outside of the top ten. That's pretty impressive. Uh, it, you know, it, it, it's it's kind of crazy that year. You know, you go back and like, look at the year Ness had with Jeff Robinson and John Summer and Joe Murphy and those guys, and we kind of piggybacked. I think it, when I think – before I got hurt, and again, there were a lot of pieces that was, this is not just me. We had a great O-line. We had we were awesome on defense. But I think we were number one, two, or three in the nation in total offense, scoring, um, rushing the ball, I think, turnovers, and I think rushing defense. But we were we, – we beat UNLV like a drum, and they went to a bowl game. Now, we were up 48-10 at the end of the third quarter. I mean, we were really stinking good. Um, and then we, you know, had some injuries, but – yeah, we, it was an awfully good football team from, from from top to bottom, and it's just too bad that we ended up playing an awfully good McNeese State team um, in the first round, unfortunately. Yeah, and you know, in the 95 season, I, I'm, I'm looking at the schedule you guys played, and I read this off last week, but I'm going to do it again. Uh, I'm not reading every game. I'm only reading ranked teams you guys played. Now, of course, you yeah. opened up at Oregon State, which that's you know Pac-12. Sure. Uh, so completely different understanding, but you know September 30th, sorry, for, first Big Sky game at number 24 Idaho State. You get a couple weeks against non-top 25 teams. Then the the game I was talking about that I that I saw you uh, number six Montana in, in mm-hmm. Moscow. Uh, then Weber State. Then number 13 Northern Arizona. Number at 15 Northern here. Iowa. Yep, and then at number 15 Northern Iowa. Then number sixteen Boise State, and then closing the year out in the playoffs at number one McNeese State. 
That yeah. is an absolutely wild schedule. The Big Sky in the mid '90s was absolutely stupid good. It was it was probably the best football conference in America. And I know there's some good ones on the East Coast and the South, but I'm telling you what, from top to bottom, that top six, it was a really good football conference. I just think it's funny too. I saw this when I, we were pulling some of our hashtag AskTATCs. Uh, somebody brought up how funny is it when you think about this? In a way, in the '90s, we had this quasi rivalry with McNeese State. Uh, where you played them twice in a row down in Lake Charles. But not even that. You look at this this D1 program from Moscow, Idaho, that now has played McNeese State a couple of times. Obviously, we've been in a conference with ULL and ULM. We've played LSU (laughs) two or three times. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's just crazy when you think about some of this stuff. It is. That this little school from Moscow, we actually played in Louisiana a ton of times. Most (laughs) of the time, we're down in Louisiana, like – I think the Cajuns have only been to Moscow twice and ULM maybe once. So it's a lot. We had years with, we played La Tech and the WAC. Like, we almost oh, had yeah. this weird rivalry with the state of Louisiana. A lot of travel time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, that, again, that gives up that 95 years. So, you know, we, you look at the back to back to back of Montana, Northern Arizona, and Northern Iowa. Because I don't, I think when we beat Northern, I don't think Northern Iowa had lost in 38 straight home games. If, if I'm right, because that that's their 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 dome is filled up with air pressure, like the uh, the Metrodome of Minneapolis. You had to walk like a turnstile, um, and and they I don't, I don't think they lost here in 38 games. I remember keeping a ball and I wrote on it somewhere in a, in a pile in my basement that I, I know it was it was it was three dozen plus where they had not lost at home when we beat them. Wow, the little yeah. see I would have not known that we not had you on. I mean I knew Northern yeah. Iowa has always kind of been that team that's always been pretty much a top 25 team, but. I think now with obviously what's happening in Fargo, people forget that like Northern Iowa at the time, uh, pretty pretty dang good. I mean, this is only a couple of years before mm-hmm. you know Kurt Warner's slinging the rock there. So oh yeah, well because two years ago again we were there with Nuss again, and Mike Hollis was the holder, and Mike missed a sixty-three yarder with no time on the clock to win it. Um, and Matt, I tell you, he he gave it a ride because as we lost that one, and they had a, they had a kick returner, punt return dude. That got drafted by the Jets, and we 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 couldn't catch him if we were in a Ferrari. He was so fast. Um, but but that's the, again, they had a great pass rusher too, and so we played them, I think, three straight years or two out of three of them. We lost with us and beat them my senior year, and um, they had some dudes. It was, it was another awfully good rivalry. Yeah, so so pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, and that season you guys started off slow. Um, now, but you you also talked about the. There were injury issues for that first like month and a half of the season at quarterback. Is that? Do I understand that right? Um, in '95. Yeah. Well, no, the only injury I would say is no. There were actually were. I again, I started against Oregon State and then I got pulled. Um, and then Brian and I swapped quarters against Sonoma State. We beat them sixty-six to three. Um, and then Brian played the full game against Idaho State, and he played the full game against. Oh, was the next game Montana State? Is there one yeah. more? I forget. Yeah, it was Montana State. Um, yeah, Montana State. Yeah. Um, and then I came back in like the last six, eight minutes or so, and then uh, I got the ball from there on out. So, um, so yeah, we did start off kind of slow, but one and three, I think, after the first four, something like that, and I think we ran off the last five. So I think, if I remember right, uh, I think we were the first six and six or six and five team to ever make the one AA playoff. No one else ever had before. But because, like you said, we had beaten – number six, number 11, number 13, whatever it was, and back to back to back or four last six weeks, the committee thought we were, we were, um, you know, worthy of, of being yeah. in there. So peaking at the right time. Uh, 
Yeah, you could say that for sure. Yeah, you bet. Yeah, and, and also just to get to there, something I just want to stress. It, I, I feel like it would have been so damn fun to watch that team when you have to – like your margin for error of the season is gone. And even in, in that streak of games, like you, the loss came to Weber State. And that was sandwiched in between wins, you know, against number six, Montana, and number 13, Northern Arizona. Then, like we said, uh, 15, Northern Iowa, and 16, right. Boise State to close out season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and the Weber one, uh, we just didn't play well. I mean, I, I, remember I, I fumbled the very first snap of scrimmage. Uh, I'll never forget it. We got the ball first. It was a beautiful day out. I, I felt really good. I just fumbled the ball the first snap, and they got the ball. I think they scored. We're down seven, I think, like the first two minutes. of like, okay, crap. How is this going here? And we just never got in a great groove, and we scored. I think it was close to tie to halftime, if I do believe. And then uh, they kind of got up. But I think their quarterback did the backup. And I think, honestly, I think he went like 33 of 38. He went absolutely <laughs> off the charts. I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. He, he didn't miss the entire day. Um, it was one of those things where they had the magic day. And again, I, I really think he was their backup. But I think it was like 33 of 38, threw for like 358, like 430. It was ridiculous. Um, and we had our chances late, and, and we just didn't make enough out of it. And I think we got down inside, I think they're 25 in the last minute and a half, and we couldn't punch it in um, to win it. And so that, that, we saw at that point that might be you know, the icing in the cake for us. We had to probably went out to get through, but it was just one of those deals where we just didn't play well enough to win, and they, they played really, really well. And then we um, and then we had you know, the, the Northern Arizona game where we beat them uh, 17-14. Remember, I threw three straight picks on three straight possessions. <laughs> uh, <laughs> one of I, I can play like this, but I threw one. To, I was supposed to go to Robert Scott in the end zone. And I pulled like a Dave Craig at the Seattle, like fell out of my hand. I think their deep tackle caught it on the two. I mean, we're on the five. That's how bad it was. The next series, I throw one down the left side of Chad Berry, and their All-American corner picks it, and he got drafted, I think, by the Chargers. And then the next series, um, I throw one to Dwight McKenzie, and I, it's too far inside, and the same dude picks off again. So we pick off. they pick off three on me in the third quarter, I think it was. Um, and then, But that's when they had Jeff Allen, the good quarterback who got drafted by the Broncos, um, played, I think, in the like four to six years. Um, but we get the ball back with, gosh, whatever time it was to go, and our defense played great because um, no one in Arizona was, I think, in the top five in the country in passing and totally hard scoring. They were rolling people. Uh, I mean, I think like they scored like 55 on Montana and another 50 on Boise. I mean, they were really good. Our defense played just awesome. We got the ball back down 14 to I think with a minute 31 to play like on our 23 yard line. We jump off sides. Uh, and I remember Jimmy Mills, I, and Jimmy, he was listening to God knows. And he goes, man, I'm crapping my pants right here. And we all kind of laughed. And I'm like, okay, good. We're finally done getting nervous. Let's just go play with the dang thing. And we went down there and, and it's, it's probably the best drive we've ever had as an offense. It's one of those drives where, as a quarterback, you know, there's no sound in the stadium. Everything is in complete slow motion. Um, you're, you're calling what you want. You're calling. You know where the ball is going to be thrown because they're playing a certain way on defense. And we get down to the five, and I call speed option to the left, thinking it's going to score. And the D, the DN feathers it really, really well. And I, I keep it and go, I think, to the two. And then I call inside zone twice. And Jimmy Mills, again, he is saying it's going to come right here, right over my right shoulder. No one's going to stop us. And it goes right over Jimmy Mills' right shoulder. And then Ryan Phillips, when we get the ball back, uh, he ends up hitting uh, the quarterback on a third down or second down play. And he breaks his collarbone, unfortunately. It was really sad. Um, But that kind of assaulted the game for us. And so we ended up winning that sucker 17-14. And that locker room, I'm talking about pandemonium, man. I 
remember Chris Tormey dumping a bucket of water on his head and jumping around and um, it was a happy, happy, happy bus ride home. And I remember guys taking pictures um, by their locker room because it says, you know, you're at uh, elevation seven, seven, 114 feet, you know, extreme exercise of dangerous for your health, blah, blah, blah. And we're all laughing at it. And people getting the pictures with big lumberjack. And so, I mean, that was, a, that was a huge, huge win too, because, you know, for all intents and purposes, we shouldn't have gone to Northern and beaten a team that good after the loss we had, but, and again, we regrouped and again overcame serious adversity and, uh, and played really, really well. We had to. And I want to go back. Uh, forgive me for absolutely annihilating chronology here. Um, <laughs> so the game. So you guys beat Montana in Moscow. Correct. You Idaho and WSU happen to be the only teams who beat Montana in '95. So Montana won the championship. Mm-hmm. I I went to that game. I was in third grade. Now forgive me for my sins. At the time, I was on the Montana side. That's okay. Uh, yeah, I grew up in a Montana household. Um, and I don't know. Um, you, you seem to have a pretty pretty sharp recollection of all the games. I'm curious what you remember of that game as a third grader in the stands. You know, the game finished 55-43. Yep. It was the absolute perfect game in my mind to watch as a, little, as a kid because it, it seemed – back and forth might not be correct, but I remember it as – it was pretty dang close the whole time, and there were a few plays. I was with my dad. He got super pissed because a Montana guy looked like they made a catch and were going to come down, and then an, an Idaho defensive back shoved them on the way down and mm-hmm. relatively key and complete passes. Am I remembering some of this stuff correctly? No, you're not far off. It, it was it was, a, it was an electric ball game. I think it took like 44 hours to play. No, it seemed like forever. I think Dave threw it 72 times from montana i mean it was it was, it was ridiculous um but we jumped on him pretty good actually um i don't remember the first quarter score but i remember, I remember being 49 16 at halftime um I, I don't i don't want to go too far but i'm not sure there's been a better half of football played in the kb dome than that one against a team like that um we we hit on all cylinders and i i remember kids talking about Dave Dickinson because Dave was phenomenal. I mean, he, he's as good as any quarterback in the big sky it's, it's ever had. And I got no problems saying that. Um, but our, our, our whole week long was, you know, with all due respect to the defense, at least on the offensive side of the ball, we hope Dave has the game in his life. We're still going to kick their crap the crap out of him because we thought we we're good enough. And sure enough, Dave had set a Montana record for most, I think most touchdowns passed and most yards passed most attempts in the game. Um, so it kind of came to fruition, but our defense was, absolutely unbelievable and people are going man they scored 43 points as yeah but they defended 72 balls in the air um they sacked him i think eight times picked him off three i mean it, it was it was an unbelievable game where uh you know, that's when chris Torman said hey we're gonna play man and we're gonna heat him up he stands at seven yards you know behind a bunch of six six 330 pound guys not to get to, we're not gonna give him to give him time um and that's because of respect to what they do. We knew if we, if we sat back and just waited for him, he'd pick you apart because he does. And so we just said, hey, we're going to play straight man, little man free. And uh, I know Montreal Williams had gotten hurt um, in a week or so before tore his knee up. And so Paul Coffey came in. Paul played awesome. Um, but but it was just one of those deals where, as a group, uh, we felt really, really confident coming off the Eastern game. And we knew from the year before we were every bit as good as them. And so many guys were back. Like I said before, we really thought – you know, we should have won the game at, at Missoula. We didn't, obviously, um, but we thought we we should have. And so we, there, there wasn't a, a lack of doubt that we couldn't win. 
but the way things strung along in that game early for us to, to, to be successful just exuded confidence. You know, we, we got a pick early. We got a couple of big sacks early. We scored early. Um, I think we scored 21 the first quarter. And I can't tell you the exact scores, how it came down, to be honest with you. But um, it was one of those games where, again, I, I remember one of the first plays, we went double tight. We did a little play action. The first play of the game actually went double tight and did a little roll with Levani Kid. I hit Dwight on the post right off the first first play of the game just to kind of set a tone. Hey, we're going to be aggressive. We're not just going to run and be passive. And, you know, people saying, are you guys going to just run the ball to keep Dave off, off the field? And Ark was like, no, we're going to be us and we're going to go beat him. We're not going to try and play passive. We're going to be aggressive. And so we did. And we went down the field on them um, pretty easily in the first drive. And I think it might have been field goal, to be honest. I don't remember. But um, we got a stop. And then we scored and got a stop. And I think we scored. And then they scored on a long screen pass down the sideline on, on Montana's side. On their big 6'4 white kid. I can't remember his name. It kind of a throwback screen pass. And um, so I don't remember if we ran a kickback or something. But anyway, anyway um, we had a great first half and it'd be at 49, 16. I think, um, I think we threw five touchdowns in the first half. Um, I think, I think we got a little, sorry, Longoria or still pick up a fumbled sack and ran it back. I think is what it was. Um, and so things had really just gone our way, but because we had played super, super well. And I think we just kind of shocked the heck out of Montana in the second half. Um, our first drive, um, we go second three, I think from our left hash. And I throw, uh, we were, trips and I throw a bomb to Dwight McKenzie um, and, and it's maybe the best ball I've thrown in my life <laughs> and he catches it about a yard deep in the end zone and we score and it's I mean it had been 55 you know 16 that literally ball game's over and then a flag comes out late and they called uh, illegal motion or shifting on on Jimmy Mills and we, I I think I had the tape somewhere but we looked at it for days and he doesn't move an inch. And we swore to God that it was the Montana coach saying he moved, he moved, he moved and no one moved. Um, and that just made us matter than a Hornet. Um, <laughs> but you know, but Montana being as good as they were, came back and um, scored a couple on us. And then we got, then we got to score early in the fourth quarter. They may give us to 53. Um, and so uh, it ended up working out that we were able, able to hold on 55. Sorry. Um, to that sucker because Dave got hot late. And I think they ran it twice in the second half. I'm guessing because they were so far behind. Um, but our, again, our defense got stops and they got turnovers when we needed to. And we, we were able to make some, some drives that took some time off the clock. We didn't go three and out, three and out, which is kind of, which is key for us. Um, but man, what, what, what a game that, cause I don't think at that point, our senior class had beat Montana. We lost, I think to them four straight years, honestly. Yeah. I just pulled up the box score. Mm-hmm. You remember remember correctly, uh, Dave Dickinson was 43 of 72. Yeah. Uh, for I 500. Did I answer what, what, 23 times? <laughs> yeah, you were uh, 15 to 23. Now, huge asterisk in the comparison. Six of your 23 passes were touchdowns. We'll take that. I'll keep it playing on it. <laughs> Efficiency. Could have been seven too. Gosh dang it! Because they called the one by back on Dwight, but that's what it is. It's okay. No reason wearing the arm out seventy-two times if you can do the same thing and uh, it's three better. Efficiency, my friend. You know? <laughs> no, fortunate. What you call it? Great defense gave us great fielders and kids made plays. That's all. That's what it comes down to. Yeah, and, what a game! Holy smokes! Yeah, no, that was. Okay, I'm looking through the box score. What I must have remembered was in that first quarter, it was 28 to 10, which is 38 points is a ton in the first quarter. And then Montana made a little bit of a comeback in the second half. Maybe what I'm just misremembering is there were just a thousand touchdowns, and that that was it. 
Because, I mean, that's kind of how, if you think I about did. just. I think the first half. Yeah, even like 2018 Little Brown Stein. Like, if you look at the final box score, Montana did beat us. It, the whole game, it was like a two, two and a half possession game the whole time. But that game, when you looked at it, like, I remember not feeling totally out of it till like the fourth quarter because like Montana would score two touchdowns, but we'd score one. I feel like sometimes if if teams are scoring, you still feel in it because you're just seeing how rapidly you can score. Then you're just like, all we need is a stop and we'll score. And so I feel like that is it was one of those types of games where the the score might be pretty big the whole time throughout the box score, but when teams are just putting up touchdowns like that left and right, it just feels like a close game, even if. If it's not necessarily, but I feel in '95, like a 55-43 scoreline with your guys' numbers. I, I obviously people can't really see our outlines, but I've been comparison. That's like a modern, maybe like a couple of years ago, like Drew Brees versus Aaron Rodgers type stat lines, or like a Patrick Mahomes now. Like back in the day, you weren't necessarily seeing quarterbacks throw seven touchdowns in a game. Like it's no, well before it, the air raid. It doesn't and, happen today. No, yeah. it just doesn't because it's one of those deals where it was just. Hey, I'm going to go back. We we had we had some dudes, and, and, and I mean when I said that that 93, 94, 95 era were some of the best Idaho teams I think the school's seen because we had some serious talent. Um, they recruited receivers so well, and I'm not saying they haven't now. It, it, but what what the, the guys we have at our skill spots um, and our ability to run the ball and to defend the run, man, it. it we were so good on out on the edges, um, but yeah, it was just one of those deals. Man, it was, it was a magical time to be a part of it, and uh, it was it was such such great memories. I guess so fortunate too, just to be a part of it as well. Yeah, which you you bring up a couple things, which we'll kind of get into now in terms of some weird it just some people you shared your time at Idaho with. We already touched on, you know, John L. Smith. Uh, you've covered how Nussmeyer and you had, um, you know, the guys like that around you, but. Uh, a fun one. Paul Petrino was actually the wide receiver coach in '94. He was. You you brought yeah. up we we had some really good wide receivers. I mean, do you have any kind of fun stories of Paul when he was a, a coordinator coach? And- oh, he I loved Paul. I absolutely I I had crawled on my knees and gone glass for him. He again he was, but he came in and he 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 fit the mold of the staff that John L had. You know, there was a culture of the staff and the way he wanted kids to coach or guys to coach kids. And Paul was tough. There's there's no means about it, but um, uh, he 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 cared about you. He's the kind of guy that you know came in the locker room too. He he chit chatted with you, sat down by you, um, and I'll still never forget. Because my good buddy Dwight McKenzie, um, left in the death, we were in a one on one situation, and I threw a ball. I thought Dwight should have caught, and I kind of chewed Dwight's butt. And Paul chewed mine for chewing Dwight. <laughs> and then as we're jogging, as we're jogging down, he goes, "Hey man, hey." I know you're competitive and I love it. Don't lose that. But just remember, hey, Dwight's working his ass off for you guys, man. Don't chew his butt out because make a mistake. He's trying to skate. You're right. I'm sorry. Don't lose, that, don't lose that fire. And that was Paul. Yeah. You know, he, he, he just was. And uh, you, you love that about him. The, the, the staff we had back then, man, they got along and they, they were on you, but they told you they loved you. They put their arm around you. Um, but yeah, uh, Coach, Coach P was awesome. I was really glad when he got hired there. Yeah. Have you, have you guys stayed in touch while uh you know since yeah he's been back yeah when I, yeah he has because um when i was head football coach at walla high school for eight years we went to idaho team camp i think three of the eight years i was there and so we were able to kind of chit chat and, and do some things and spend some time in his office and talk about implementation and whatnot and go to things and so we, we still can keep in touch today he and sinkovich uh we still do actually and so with, i i i'm fortunate to be able to call him one, one of my good friends 
That's that's awesome. Um, it is awesome. Yeah, and another one, Ryan Phillips. You kind of already brought it up, but currently is the the color commentator for the Vandal Radio Network. Um, I mean, it's it's kind of cool. You've you've shared it with so many people that are currently a part of Vandal history, formerly a part of Vandal history. Um, what was it kind of like being with Ryan, who ended up being a guy who was drafted in like the third or fourth round, I believe, to the NFL? Yeah. You talked about talent on the on the squad. Yeah, his third round. He, again, he's a base guy MVP. And he, he was a dude. He he just was. He was he was fast. He was big. He was violent. Um, he knew how to flip a switch. Um, he was a great leader, but he was also a good friend. He was a roommate of mine. I lived in, the, in an apartment for a year and a half and uh, with two other guys. And uh, he was just a, a genuinely great person that was was good in school and it was a good person on campus. And um, but he he was a reason why we were awfully good because if you didn't take care of him with two, he was going to get to you. If you took took care of him with one, he made the the offensive staff on the opposing team change the way they pass pro because if you didn't, he was going to take you out of what you wanted to do. Um, but what, what, what a great guy. I was able to go see him actually last fall. My oldest son runs cross country. I showed my, my youngest, but it's sorry, two falls ago. Um, we came down to watch the Idaho, uh, might've been Cal Poly game actually, I think. Um, and I said, Hey, Philip, I'm actually here for the first time in like eight years. Are you around? He goes, I'm in the booth. Come around. So I came around. He can't let me in talk to him. Dennis Patch and the guy I hadn't seen him for a while. He looked great. So yeah. pretty cool to go back and find some old stomping grounds and talk to him. But he's doing great. Sounds yeah. like, um, so kind of funny, you, you've one of the big moves of moving coming back to the Big Sky is, you know, we're gonna have natural rivalries again. Now some of those rivalries are gone, where like a Boise State, where they're not in the Big Sky anymore. Uh, yeah. But you know, you you played the Boise State, you played the Washington State, you you've played the Easterns, the Montanas, the Idaho States, the Montana States. Uh, kind of talk about, I mean. In your mind, which of those schools were rivals back in the day? Like, who got you the most up for a game where you didn't need anything else really coming out of that tunnel? You were ready to go, just to, wanted to beat those guys. And then do you kind of see anybody else as you, you've kind of followed the team these last couple of years? It's kind of maybe moved up, or have they kind of adjusted in your mind? Because, you know, some people would probably say Washington State's less of a rival now, and maybe even so Boise State. But I'm just curious, like, back in when you were there, um, who were your guys' big rivals you cared the most about? And then kind of how do you see all the rivalries now as a, a former player watching it these days? Well, I think it, without being said, Boise Junior called the number one rival without question. <laughs> you know, it's just when you're BJC, you always BJC. When you're a fan, man, DAV goes so far. Um, <laughs> and you guys that have been around for long, if you know what DAV stands for, so I'll, I'll keep that what it is. But um yeah, boys, without question, it's just it's just what it was. It, it was a hatred. Matter of fact, it's funny because my wife um, uh, works at, at a winery here on on some weekends once in a while. Walla, and it, it, there's a lot of great wine here. But um, when she comes in, there people come in from Boise quite a bit, and they're wearing their their you know orange and blue that is hard to look at. There's oh, you're from Boise. She goes, yeah, well, my husband played quarterback. I go, I don't. Goes, oh, I'm there. I'm I'm sorry. She's like, wow, you weren't kidding. I said, no, Amy, there's, there's, there, it is a hatred. They don't <laughs> like each other, period. So um, she kind of got her first-hand grasp of that a little bit. But um, I would say other than that, honestly, I, I think in the era that I played in and the guys around, I think Montana is probably number two, honestly, yeah. just because of the respect of the history of the program, um, their stadium, their their community, what, what they had done. Uh, they were always, I, I thought, very well respected. And it was a different rivalry than Boise. You know, it was more of a professional rivalry. You, you, you didn't hate them, 
but man, you knew if you didn't play, um, you're going to get your tail whipped. So, um, but I, as, as that, as I got into that game more, I, it became more and more of a, again, not hatred, but it was a pretty prominent rivalry. And then I see this proximity wise, Houston was a big one. Um, not that they were ever really, I, I, with all due respect now, yeah. uh, on our level at that time, you know, I think in the 92 arrow, I think we co-champed the big sky with them. Um, we beat them head to head. Um, but other than that, I, I don't. They weren't really. I think quite at, at the top of the league. Obviously, they they flipped those tides now. Um, and then, gosh, got to think from that part on. Montana State, IST were kind of coming out of, of the doldrums. Then, um, you know, NAU's never been bad, and they were got pretty good. I think um, more my junior senior year, they were okay. Um, you know, my freshman sophomore, they weren't as good as they were later. Um, and I got to think, you know, I. I Really, I think Montana was number two, and then Easton just because of the proximity, honestly, yeah. yeah. Which is kind of uh, what I kind of guess, because I know, like, w- we've been on the show multiple times kind of saying, like, yeah, Boise State is something we probably have to just let go right now. It's just it, we're not in a spot do. to play them. Um, so we've talked about, like, Eastern is one that – which is cool to hear that back then when they weren't good and we were re- really good. Like, you guys still consider them a rival, not yeah. quite like a Montana or Boise, but – because we're thinking now, like, that's an obvious one. They're 77 miles away. We're battling yeah. over recruits. Uh, now we're both kind of in Washington State's shadow, so you're kind of dealing with kind of the same stuff there, being next mm-hmm. door to a Pac-12 school. And I, I think it's it's a natural person to kind of build that rivalry with. And then we've also kind of talked about, like, if we really want to stick at the Boise State, uh, you try to make Idaho State a thing. Because if Idaho and Idaho State becomes a thing – throughout the state like that's just something that Boise State's gonna have to look at and realize that they're missing out on because they don't have any true rivals so um, yeah I, and it looks, it looks like they may not for a long time yeah 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 <laughs> every know, once in a um, while when BYU's good or you know if Fresno's good and they happen to play them that year otherwise Nevada yeah. if they're good and ha- there's their stuff's a mess right now but oh um, it is <laughs> yeah I'm not sure that their confidence is any better than the big sky I'm yeah, not gonna lie yeah. To you. no the I bottom half that. for sure I think the top half of the big sky could do some work against you know the San Jose states uh, Nevadas I'm with you I mean Idaho State I'm beat Nevada you. a couple years ago when they were bad so yeah um, yeah uh, <laughs> I'm with you yeah uh so the 2020 Vandal Hall of Fame nominations uh just became open who do you think from your time at Idaho uh or even maybe even before that you kind of think maybe deserves to be nominated this year. I mean, obviously there's a lot of guys that are already on there, um, but I, I guess you're thinking of maybe someone who's under the cuff who maybe deserves a, a fair shake at getting nominated as a uh, Vandal Hall of Famer. Um, we, you know, from, from from the era that I played, I'll take him back to like my senior and junior year, I, I got to say probably the, the two All-American tackles we had, Spencer Fullout and Jimmy Mills. When you're first team All American, second team All American, and you're playing in the NFL, and Jimmy was drafted, Spencer wasn't. That Spence played for eight years, and Jim played, I think, for five. That's a pretty special company. I mean, yeah. I, I don't, I, I know, um, I, I'm not sure I can think of another, other than, you know, Yarno played for a long time, but um, I can't, I'm not sure I know of a, a lot of other, and Kramer was so long ago, God bless him, mm-hmm. um, of any other lineman. I know Iapati's in there and a couple of guys, but at that point, there hadn't been many, and those guys did it for a long, long time. Um, Mike Hollis, I know Mike's in there. He was a dandy. Um, I know Sheridan is and should be. Joel Thomas is and should be. Um, uh, I think it's, did I, did I share that that Shelt's going to be is that right, Jason? 
Yeah, I think. Yeah, and rightfully so. Yeah. yeah, he well, he was something else. And Ryan Phillips obviously should be. Mm. I mean, I haven't been to see the Hall of Fame for so long. I don't know who's actually in it. Sorry, that's how bad I am. Yeah. Um, but I I, I got to look first at Jimmy and Spence. Yeah. They were so they were so good at where they were. Um, and with Jason on there, probably Montreal Williams. I know he was kind of short lived as a JC guy, but he was first team All League as uh, a senior and tore his ACL. Would have probably been a first team All American kid. He was he was awfully good. Was a, a Big Sky uh, track conference champion as well as a track guy as well. So he played did football and did and did track just as an athlete. Um, and then if you go back to a little before I was there, Matty Groshong, first team All American as a center. Um, obviously, Nuss is in a class by himself. Yo Murphy was there. Alan Allen, another one. Alan was tremendous, just absolutely awesome. Uh, he was a JC when I came in as a freshman. Um, he was he was just phenomenal for us. So, um, Jody Schnug uh, was a three-time uh, Big Sky, I think, uh, offensive lineman all league was another dandy for us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Jeff Robinson, obviously. So there's there's a lot of guys there that were awfully good. You know, Bobby Monk played for forever too. There, there's a lot that. Um, I'm not sure get a, get a fair shake in where they're going, but there were some awfully good ball players in, in that 91 to 96 era that, that I think should get a fair shake. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so then we, we've, we've got a couple of hashtag STHCs from you uh, or for you from Joe Vandal Jr. Uh, we kind of covered um, that some people asked some questions, but uh one thing that uh, Joe Vandal Jr. wants to know is, uh, what was it like having Joel Thomas and Sheridan May in the same backfield? Boy, what a luxury! I'll tell you what. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the thing that was great about having JT and Sheridan is it, it made Sheridan stay sharp um, because when Sheridan did get hurt and he hurt his knee his junior year, um, JT came in as a freshman and he played really well, and it, it made Sheridan come back and, and, and get sharp. Not that he wasn't, but. Um, then it gave us a great one-two punch because we had always somebody that was fresh. It, it, they were they were both so different. You know, Sheridan was such a slasher. He got to the edge, and Joel was still north-south, but he had the speed to get outside. Um, it, it was a great, great luxury to have in front offense. Yeah. Uh, then he wants to know. We, we kind of covered Eastern, you know, Eastern a little bit, but uh, did your hometown Eastern Washington recruit you? Yes, they did. Yeah, they, did. they were the first school actually to offer me. Um, and I, I think much to their chagrin, I said, no, <laughs> <laughs> um, and then you, you've kind of covered this, but just one of the last one was, uh, who do you still keep in touch with from those teams? Oh gosh, you know, quite a few, well, not as much as I'd like to, but, um, you know, my best friend, Eric Johnson played center with for two years. He lives in Coeur d'Alene. I keep in touch with Mike Hughes and Sheridan Dwight, uh, Robert Scott, uh, John Sermon, uh, John's brother lives here in Walla Walla. So I coach John's ne- uh, nephew and nieces in track uh, and had in football. Um, you know, Ryan Wolperton kicked for us there. Eddie Howard. Um, I haven't been able to keep touch with Brian Brown, unfortunately. I'm able to see him, but I just got in touch with Bob Monk the other day. I uh, haven't seen him for a while, but there, there's a lot of guys that um, you see on social media that you, you, you connect with back and forth here and there. And, it takes guys about five minutes to catch up. You know, yeah. We don't need a weekend, you know, so, um, <laughs> but it, but it, we just, we, it's, we're guys, we're simple creatures, you know, but, um, you, and, and Nuss is one of them. And, uh, but it, it's just nice to keep touch with people that, um, you're around for a while because it's you know, to kind of keep that, that candle burning. It's a special deal. Uh, and a special group of guys I was fortunate enough to, to be around for those four or five years. Yeah. Well, uh, you've made it through at least the, the hot, 
the hot seat section where we've just been grilling <laughs> you with questions. Uh, so we get to we get to give you a chance here as we give all, all the guests on the podcast uh, a getting iced segment. That's where you can ask Brian and I uh, any question you want. It could be sports related or not. Uh, then we'll answer it. Oh wow! Because um, the only thing I, I would say is, um, what do you see as far as um, development in our um, our skill kids coming back? Um, the last couple of three years uh, as receivers and DBs that was always, I, I think we've been pretty good in the box. Um, yeah. But I know we've, we've been different with JC kids coming through. What do you guys see with the skill kid development for our, our coming in the future for us? Um, Brian, I'll let you go first since I, uh, I've talked more than you. <laughs> Stall. So, I mean, r- running backs, we have a ton of productive underclassmen. Uh, so we're, we're set. We've got, you know, our top, we have Rashawn Johnson's going to be a junior, uh, provided he's healthy. He's, you know, he's kind of the bruiser back. Um, Andre Carter's true freshman. He has a similar running style to Rashawn Johnson. Then Nick Romano, he's kind of our change up running back. Uh, he's a, he'll be a true, true sophomore as well. Uh, but we're going to be deep at running back and all three of our, all three of our projected top rushers have been productive. Uh, they, they were all productive last year. Wide receiver, we lost All-American Jeff Cotton. Um, we do have Cottrell Haywood returning, and he, you know, heading into last season, we've talked about this a couple times in the podcast. Before last season, it was unclear to us who was going to be number one, Jeff Cotton or Cottrell, based off how Cottrell did as a freshman. Uh, he's a little, he, he, I don't know, he might not be quite as explosive as Jeff was, but he's real strong, uh, real physical guy. Um, he's going to be our top receiving threat. Um, it's a real question where number two, you know, receivers two and three are going to be because last season, really, it was just Jeff Cotton and Cottrell Haywood uh, with sure. with receptions. Our number two receiver, uh, sorry, number three receiver would uh, probably have been his tight end. Oh man, Chris, I'm drawing a blank. Um, anyway, sorry, who's the the tight end from West Valley High School? Uh, oh gosh, I'm blanking too. Not, I'm not Hayden, Hayden Hatton, Hatton, Connor Whitney. Yes. Yeah, Connor Whitney and Hayden Hatton, they're both tight ends who are pretty, who are productive. So it wouldn't be shocking if, you know, like our, you know, our bigger targets as the number two and three targets turned out to be tight ends. Um, oh. And then defensive backs. Chris, do you want to take that or do you want to hear my hot take and piggyback off it? Uh, Yeah, you can cover defensive backs. Defensive back over in our first two seasons, the big sky, uh, Eric, you're correct. Uh, de- um, our, our defensive backs, you know, cor- corners and safeties were the less help- productive end of our defense. Um, we lost uh, our top two guys, probably Cedric Thomas and Lloyd Hightower to graduation. Uh, but we've, we saw steady improvement over the last couple seasons. You know, our first season, the big sky, we got torched by any team that could pass. And it wasn't exactly like that in our um, last season. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we did get a transfer from Montana, graduate transfer Darian Nash, who, who we are going to, we presume he's going to be kind of penciled in as a starter. Um, but I guess, I, yeah, I guess my question, my DBs, it's, it's part of what's going to matter is a couple of guys who came in, but we covered a couple weeks ago that uh, we have more production returning than you might have guessed. Chris, I'm going to turn this over to you uh, to you know, help fill in my gaps. Yeah. Uh, without having the outline that we had all the stats over, 
DBs, we were surprised to learn how little we kind of lost. Um, the big one, obviously, which we're going to cover, we're going to have a new quarterback, majority starter at least at quarterback this year. And the big question there is we lost I, it was something like 73% of our, or higher maybe, of our catching production with Jeff Cotton leaving. So mm -hmm. that's going to be the big replacement. But to kind of bring on what you're talking about, we've had pretty good filling of players leaving. I mean, you look after, which we're going to talk on this 2016 team here in just a couple seconds, you lost guys like Deion Watson, Buck Cowan, and then you end up having a guy like David Unger who barely got to see the ball at all in that. Uh, you had Jordan Fry. You had all these other guys. And then you look just a couple years later, and David Unger is the guy in 2018 and, and supp supplemented by Jeff Cotton and Cottrell Haywood. And then you just look at – you lose David Unger. He gets drafted to the CFL, and you're like, oh, wow. I mean, we've got these two guys, but who's going to really fill in to be the third? And then you just had no idea that you had this all-American type guy sitting there on the bench like Jeff Cotton, who was just so much better than I think we thought he was going to be. So I, I feel like wide receiver's been that position where we've been pretty lucky throughout our history of being able to find some guys from you going from Max Komar all the way up through Preston Davis, Ruben Moella, uh, Joshua McCain. Like, we've always seemed to find a guy. Um, so I, I think we're going to be all right there, which is going to be important to the the skill positions but otherwise yeah with defense we brought in some pieces and we were surprised to learn how little we lost and then uh a running back we're set we lost like i think it was four carries um we should be pretty set starting with the vandal rewatchable series 2016 we voted out on twitter with you guys uh brian you i know you just put in the work to really watch this i, I i'm what I'm kind of looking for out of this is, you know, what were some of your takeaways, your favorite moments, maybe some things that made flashbacks or things that you just found entertaining when you're, you're rewatching this game, which if anything was kind of the perfect start for us because it's only, we're only a couple of years removed from it. Now the first thing is um, for a game that finished 61 to 50, it was still a shutout at the end of the first quarter. Um, yeah. Both, both teams looked like they struggled with the cold. And you could definitely see you guys struggle with footing a little bit. Um, and then, man, Idaho just ripping off five consecutive touchdowns. And I guess the the player who jumped out at me, man, Deion Watson was good. Yes. Oh, as a, I mean, he, he was a tight end, correct? Uh, like in the, in the broadcast, I, they, they described him as a split end. Yeah, I think broadcast. he's listed on the depth chart as a tight end, but it's kind of like how what Hayden Hatton is a great example, how he's kind of lining up a bit outside. Uh, by the end there, he rotated so much between kind of wide receiver, I think when Chad Chalich was playing quarterback, and then they kind of moved him back in the tight end when Linehan started playing. And then by, like we said, Buck Cowan was so good, we kind of moved Dion more back out to a wide receiver position. But... Yeah, he was kind of a weird, almost hybrid type uh, where he was big enough to play tight end, but he was so athletic that you you could go put him on some mismatch with some corners. It was – I agree with you. Like, when they were talking about during the broadcast, like, oh, yeah, we were so worried about Buck Cowan and everything. I was like, Buck Cowan was good and still one of my favorite Vandals to watch play. But, like, Deion Watson by no means was overshadowed by Buck Cowan. They were pretty 1-2 right there, or 1-A, 1-B. And I agree with you, watching that game, like the one-handed just right in the basket, the stiff-arming a guy off, 
He seemed to be one of the only guys that didn't have any issues with, like, slipping. He just, I mean, that, that game right there should have just been his entire highlight tape. He played so well. Uh, yeah, and, I mean, the, the single play. Uh, sorry, the, the two single plays that I love the, watching the most were one that um, was it like a near 80, sorry, 74-yard touchdown pass. Deion Watson mm-hmm. uh, caught from Matt Linehan. You know, mo- a huge amount of the yards came after the catch. Uh, but then in that fourth quarter, Jordan Freisinger's one-handed, you know, absolutely miracle snag uh, that you know, he caught in stride, one-handed kind of behind him, and then, you know, fin- ran in the rest of the way. Yeah. It was uh, – that yeah, that was a sports center. That might have been the top play that night. I remember that. Um, I also thought it was funny, like, watching just how bad that field was. And yeah, I'm going to make the joke that it was definitely because it was blue – but, I mean, the footing there just sucked. And I know Colorado State seemed to have a lot more problems with it than Idaho. But anytime somebody seemed to touch the hash marks or the sideline, it was always on, like, kickoffs. Like, if you watch – when you're watching back, you'll notice, like, Austin Rico was involved in, like, three injuries just because, like, the way everyone was running, you know, you naturally kind of start to let up when you're going to the sideline because you don't want to just plow into your teammates standing there or the opposing team. And so guys are letting up, and then they're sliding, and you'd see, like, Rico also slipping in. And, like, I think he hurt one Colorado State guy, and it was, like, on the very first kickoff, um, some call he, like, made the tackle, and then some Colorado State player taunted him, and then the Colorado State player got a taunting penalty. And then later he actually slid into one of our DBs. It might have been Armand Hawkins, I'm not sure, and, like, hurt his knee. And you're just like, man, it's – like just it was such a weird game when you rewatch like those little things like how much uh we scored that touchdown i think it was isaiah saunders who scored the touchdown and slipped and then austin rico again made an extra point after slipping on his butt and it was just i'm so glad we won but i just thought about it like if i wasn't an idaho fan or colorado state fan watching this game i had to be entertained just by the fact of like what is happening out there like it was it almost didn't seem real it seemed like football on ice it was. You're right. It's terrible. <laughs> um, I remember taking away one other point when rewatching that, where they brought up uh, something about like it was the Vandals' first fully televised game since I think 2010 when they played Boise State. They brought up like, and this is a team who hasn't had a sole night on ESPN since 2010. Blah blah blah, and they obviously the shadow of the. Big Sky move was a very big topic during the broadcast with a lot of those guys. But, uh, um, yeah, I don't know, like rewatching like Petrino's speech and watching the trophy ceremony and just hearing all the praise that like Matt Linehan and Lupamano had. It was uh, it was really cool to watch. I, I thought out of, I was actually out of all the games we suggested, this was the game I least wanted to rewatch just because. I was very excited, but I remember the game being a pretty big blowout, and I was like, ah, I kind of want something a little bit more exciting. But I do think it was the perfect one because it was recent enough that you remember some of the players. Lloyd Hightower was playing in it, you know, a guy who was just on the team, was the captain last year. And um, all in all, I, it, the only feeling I remember from that game was like at halftime, not feeling, even though it was like negative two degrees, not feeling cold at all. I was the warmest person in the world at, at about halftime when we were up got 24 seven or something and then scored on the first drive at one point we were up like 33 to seven it was it was a very surreal moment to be a vandal because we hadn't beaten a team of that quality that bad since i mean gosh 
98. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and also in that fourth quarter, we talked, you know, Eric, about how in that Montana game, 28 to 10 in the first quarter is a lot of points. And that fourth quarter, Idaho lost the fourth quarter 20 to 36 yeah, against Colorado State. I mean, yeah, but I, yeah, and, and I, but I remember being run. there. So it's not like it actually, the result was never truly in question. Yeah. Uh, but good Lord, the 30, giving up 36 <laughs> points in a quarter is astounding, but still, like, they still scored 20. Yeah. I, yeah. I just remember being there with, uh, like, Sean Kramer, ironically, was one of the guys that I saw. Wait, they had we had people lining up with like nine minutes left at the gates, ready to storm the field. And like, uh, we've talked about this boatman at like seven minutes and something. The ESPN had come and delivered the entire sideline their hats because they were up by like thirty points with like the like you said the fourth quarter left. Um, so I mean, at that point, you could tell we weren't even playing. And yeah, one of Colorado State's to bring it within like fourteen points with like a minute left, but. Yeah, they definitely tried to make it more interesting at the end. I remember, uh, bless her heart, uh, he was a walk-on DB at the time. Jack Tate's parents were right behind me. And they were just saying, like, oh, my God, typical Idaho. We're going to blow it. We're going to blow it. And it's like, no, we're we're not going to blow it. We're going to be just fine. Like, it's a 30-point. It's a 30 point, uh, It's a 20-foot. It's a four. Oh, gosh, they might be right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But, it was a fun game to watch, that's for sure. I sure enjoyed it as well. Yeah, it was. And uh, we won't dive into it too much more just because it is rather recent, so people probably remember it. And um, we want to get this podcast somewhat speedy to you guys. So uh, second announced rewatchable is actually going to be the Root Sports featured game of the week or whatever they're doing right now, which is part of the reason we decided to do these, which we saw Root Sports is going to be re-airing a couple of our games. So... Uh, we have Idaho versus Montana State, which was played October 13th of 2018. It'll be airing Thursday, so today when you guys listen to this, at 2 p.m. Pacific. Now, we realize that that's hard for some people to watch, and some people don't have Root, which is a big issue with the Root Sports Games of the week. Um, so we're going to work on trying to get that through some of our people that are working on getting us the games and they think they can, but in case they can't, or we're not able to get it on YouTube or something like that. We do have a poll running on Twitter right now. Uh, it won't expire until, uh, I believe three o'clock on Thursday. So make sure you tune in on there between the 1998 Boise state game, 1996 Boise state game, 1998 humanitarian bowl and the 2009 humanitarian bowl. So go vote. Uh, Brian and I will cover probably, I guess two games next week because we won't have to break down positions, so we'll have time. Uh, but, yeah, so make sure you vote on that. And then if you can, tune in the Root Sports because it is really cool that they cover the big sky. So we want to reward them for giving us kind of an extra bit of airtime there in the spring. Um, let's get into the 2020 quarterbacks. Before we do that, a quick VSF update. Uh, do you wish Idaho had a better national image? Do you want Idaho to find the next great coach and maintain all the great ones they currently have. What about winning more Big Sky and national championships? Well, these are all things that your local Vandal Scholarship Fund is a part of. All that and much more while fulfilling the most important mission, making sure all our student-athletes are awarded scholarships. There is no better time than now to give to the VSF. The ICCU Arena has broke ground. Our students are reaching historic marks on the courts, fields, pools, and most importantly in the classroom. Show our new Vandal leadership how proud you are to be a Vandal and that you are excited to help. Donate to the VSF today and help Idaho reclaim the lost decade. So, quarterbacks, 2020. Going to be a big talking point until somebody takes the field week one. 
Last year, we did lose our majority starter in Mason Petrino, so we're coming in with relatively fresh faces. We do have two guys with a little bit of playing experience, and we'll start with that. One is number 19, Colton Richardson out of Lewiston. He only played in four games last year, which means he is eligible for a red shirt. So I'd expect he's listed as a senior right now. I'd expect Colton to be a red shirt junior going into this season. Uh, they just haven't announced redshirting yet. Uh, he went 20, like I said, four games last year. He went 29 for 53, two touchdowns, three interceptions, while also running for one touchdown last year. Um, career stats-wise, he's played in 12 games. So that's about the equivalent of one season. 93 for 174, nine touchdowns, eight interceptions, and, and that's uh, with adding on one rushing touchdown, which we just covered from 2019. Uh, he has also ran the ball 19 times from negative 55 yards on 51 attempts. Something to remember when reading those numbers. Uh, in college football, sacks are counted as rushing attempts. So number six, Nikhil Nair, redshirt sophomore. As we all know, for our podcast listeners know, uh, one of my favorite quarterbacks on the team. Got to play in one game last year as well as one game in 2018 against Florida and last year against Idaho State. Came in late when Colton Richardson went down with an injury. Went three for six, 29 yards, no touchdowns, no picks. Now you're into the guys that we don't really have any idea about. Uh, this name will sound familiar to a lot of people. Number 15, Carter Freeze, uh, true sophomore. Obviously, that's John Freeze's son. He has no game experience, so expect him to be a redshirt freshman going into next year. I don't think they're going to keep him as a true sophomore, as well as the next guy, uh, Nathan Sisko out of Franklin, Tennessee. Number 16, he's a true sophomore, no game, so expect him to get a redshirt and be a redshirt freshman. We also have two newcomers coming in this year. We have Mike Beaudry, 6'5", 255 pounds, out of Winter Park, Florida. I mean, your stereotypical quarterback in size right there. Uh, he fun, a, a pretty cool story, actually. He helped start the West Florida University team and helped lead them to the 2017 Division II National Championship before transferring to the University of UConn in order to pursue an FBS, uh, you know, D1 type of dream uh, what's left to do when you win a championship right so goes to UConn we've kind of touched on it here UConn's had some drama recently uh, where players have had free eligibility to transfer out he has grad transferred to the University of Idaho uh, he did play in five games at UConn going 53 for 83 503 yards and one touchdown the main guy that you're kind of seeing come in that's expected to be his main com competitor of the newbies is uh well and the only other newbie C.J. Jordan 6'3", 189 pounds from West Camas, Oregon, uh, transferred to Union High, which was the 2018 state champ. Ended up getting hurt last year. Did end up throwing for over a thousand yards, eight touchdowns, while also running for 319 yards and four scores. He was a 247.com three-star prospect with over 20 offers, including a handful from Ivy's. Some FBS schools such as Louisville, Nevada, San Jose State, New Mexico, Navy, Texas State, uh, maybe even possibly better yet, turned down Eastern Washington. So we, we covered a lot, but I kind of want to know, uh, Eric, you've kind of told us you're not too familiar with some of the guys coming in, um, but feel free to jump in wherever. But Brian, who do you kind of see if there's three guys you expect to be the main competitor in this year, or if there even is three guys, who are kind of the three dudes you see as the most likely week one starters? 
Now, I'm first going to say, I think CJ Jordan, just based off the injury and based off us not having seen him, you know, how, how his recovery is going exactly, other than like he's posted Twitter, you know, clips of him working out, which which is cool, but like that's, that's just not actually playing football. Um, I'm, I'm hopeful that he'll redshirt, so I'm, I'm not going to count CJ at, in my top three. Um, Colton Richardson, you have to say he's in there because he's the closest we have to an incumbent. Um, he's, you know, everyone's seen him be a little bit up and down. It's unclear how much of that is, let's say, kind of like a confidence or comfort thing because in the games where he's played extended, he's done quite well, uh, but we've only seen him play extended snaps um, really against Idaho State twice and a little bit against Fresno State in the opener of 2018. Um, he's also had times when he's when he was doing the spot duty relief of Mason where um, he really struggled with things like, you know, holding on to the football during snaps. He had, he's had some issues with accuracy, but uh, no question when he's comfortable, uh, he, he can throw the ball around. Uh, so he's got to be in, in the discussion. Mike Beaudry, if you look at any of his clips from Western – when he was at Western Florida or even a little bit from UConn. Now he didn't play a ton at UConn. And he got sacked a ton because UConn's team was awful last year. Uh, but Mike, Mike Beaudry, man, he's my, he is my pick right now as the guy who I think is most likely to be a starter uh, provided, you know, we get a full version of, it might not be spring ball, but like we get a, an extra practice in the fall. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, Beaudry, he, in the clips I saw, he's a little faster than you might guess. And he's got a pretty dang good arm, too. I mean, any of our guys are going to seem like a good arm uh, compared to what we've had in the last couple of years. Uh, but Beaudry, to me, is really impressive. My dark horse guy is Nikhil Nair. Um, when we saw him against Idaho State, that was the only time we've seen him really throw the ball. And, you know, he, well, he was three of six, but I believe he had one or two drop passes. Uh, which could easily have mm. get, made him four or five or six. He is also real fast. If you remember seeing him in the spring game from 20, the 2019 spring game, he ripped off a couple pretty big runs against our number one team. Um, he definitely, la even last year with Mason as our quarterback and Mason was a solid, he was a solid scrambler. Uh, Nikhil looked like our best athlete at the quarterback position. And um, I, I guess I wouldn't rule him out at this point. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you. I, I would say I think C.J. Jordan has a little bit more of a chance than maybe he would have gotten. It appears his recovery is going really well, and he just seems to have that bit of fire uh, under him. But I, I'm going to agree with you. I think it's kind of going to come down to Mike Beaudry, uh, Colton Richardson, and Nikhil Nair. Uh, I think Nikhil Nair is going to have a real shot. And I also think Cisco is not somebody to leave out. Uh, we did bring him in uh, as a recruit. Um, where Freeze is actually a walk-on. Now, some of that might be he's a local kid. We all know that quarterbacks seem – Idaho quarterbacks don't seem to get well-recruited. I mean, other than, I guess, eh, this year it seemed to change. But before, I mean, you're thinking like Tanner Mangum, Taylor Kelly. But uh, otherwise, back to Jake Plummer, that hasn't been a ton. Um, but I think he's he was brought in – I expect Cisco to kind of at least get a fair shake. I'm not sure if he's quite there, especially as a redshirt freshman. I agree with you. I think Nikhil Nair, you throw him in in 2018 to see what he's about. Um, obviously, Mason was hurt, but when Colton got hurt against Idaho State, Nikhil Nair came in, and you are at, you are 100% right. He had two drop passes, and I'm not talking difficult drop passes, right in the wide receiver's hands, wide open, no DB on him. So he very well in that game could have gone five for six for probably like 45 yards. But – uh, that's football. We could say the same thing about Colton Richardson. 
completion percentage. Mason Petrinos, where, yeah, it, it, people are going to drop passes. Eric touched on it in some of his stories earlier. That sometimes guys drop balls. That's part of the game. So I, I think he's got a real shot at it. I think at this point with the way spring ball is going and all things pointing to what it might be in terms of summer ball, I think you got to give it to Colton Richardson because I just don't think Mike Beaudry is going to have enough time with the team and the staff, unfortunately. Now, I don't think he was going to be able to be here until summer anyways, but there's just so much other stuff going on. I'm not sure if the coaching staff is going to be able to like give the, the attention to it that they need because um, they're so worried with everything else and figuring out logistics and if there's going to be a season, what that's going to look like. Um, so I think Colton Richardson, if I had to pick your day one starter, I, I think it's going to be Colton. Uh, do you kind of have your day one guy you think that's probably going to take it? You know, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll time really quick because yeah. it's a, there's so many things that you don't know and so many, so many new guys, and I think you just touched on it too, that I don't think you can underestimate the value of, uh, of a junior having been somewhere for two and a half or three years now as, as his comfort becomes more and more and more comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, his confidence in, in, in what's going on, his confidence in the Texas, confidence in his teammates, and I think at that point too, his teammates' confidence in him uh, I think Colton have to have, I would say, an awfully good shot to at least uh, be with the ones early uh, based on that he's had live game experience. He's got a huge arm. He's mobile enough, for gosh sakes, he's even played before. Um, and sometimes, you know, it, things get really fast in a hurry when you're a young kid and they slow down when you get older. And it, it, you never know when the lights can click on. It's Joe Burrow, hello. He was yeah. okay, and then he was unbelievable, you know. And um, it, 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 as as – he gets more comfortable. Also, the game may slow down for him. You know, the, the, the kid coming out of the D2 national champ, obviously light bullets don't seem to bother him. He, he's been in the fire. He's seen speed. So I think that's a really intriguing one um, just because of his game exposure. But I, I do know the kid out of Union is – he's an athlete. He, he's – he, I think, from what I understand, I haven't seen him play in person but seen some tape on him. Um, he, is a, he is an electric young man that does a lot of good things athletically. So um, – It'll be, I think it'll be fun. I think it'll be really intriguing as well. Yeah, because I was going to ask you about that because you were coaching at Walla Walla until 2018, correct? Correct, yeah. So I was wondering if maybe without pulling up the schedules, if you had ran into CJ Jordan. Um, but I do think. I not know, but, but, but saw him um, with the teams he had played against. We played like the next year or so, but he, he, is, yeah. he is an athletic young man. Yeah. I know that a lot of people are thinking that's the future right there, but I think. We've touched on it a bit, but I guess some people are specifically tuning in because we're talking quarterbacks in this one. But, you know, he's coming off a knee injury. He's got that redshirt year at this point. That means why why rush it on him? He's not going to be uh, on the team till June 10th. Let him come in, work on his rehab. Uh, you get four games to play him under modern rules anyway. So if we have some blowouts later in the season or if you need him in an emergency setting, then you have four games to use him in an 11-game season. But I don't think there's any reason to really push him into a, a, a competition coming in right away when you do have a guy like Colton Richardson that should be ready and be very minimal. Most of the coaching staff will be back. We've talked. I think the only major loss is Steve Oliver, who just happened. So the whole coaching staff's back. He knows the offense. He knows the team. Uh, there's not going to be tons of new wide receivers coming in that haven't already been you know, around campus, like Chauncey Smart's already been back. Uh, then you have 
Mike Beaudry, who's a guy who's proven he can transfer. I mean, he transferred from West Florida and then at UConn and played five games. So he, he kind of at least knows how that the process is going to look a little bit more. It's not his first time. So he might be able to bounce back from it. But And then, you, you know, you have Neil Kilnair, who will be his, his third fall with the team. So I think that's why when you're looking at it, you've got to go Richardson, Nair, and Beaudry. It's just because the experience of they've been all of Well, two of them will have been here for three to four years. Uh, then you look at Mike Beaudry, a guy who's a senior. He's learned it. He's done the transferring. I just think there's no reason to really put CJ uh, in the competition just yet when most people feel that's the future. So why why risk it now when you're going to get him for four games later? Let him recover, get used to the playbook, used to the team, get settled into college life, and then you know, you're know you going to have him hopefully for at least two years starting, possibly uh, three to four. So. That's my opinion. That's what I think is best for the team is let CJ sit and use Mike, use Colton, use Nikhil. But uh, that being said, now if CJ Jordan comes out and it's just leaps and bounds better than everybody, I'm all for playing him as a true freshman. Well, And a related question for me <clears throat> that we just won't know until we see the team play a little bit more Yeah, is – we we talked about the offensive line a handful of weeks back as you know that's one of our question mark areas uh, for this coming season and if the lot if our offensive line is not as strong as we wished and that that's a situation that points to needing a guy who who can extend plays a little bit more uh, which there's a chance that I mean that that could be a point in the kill nares um, you know, position that also could be a, you know, a credit to a guy like Mike Beaudry or, I mean, if CJ Jordan is by far the best athlete and we need a guy who can buy some time, uh, more plays than you wish that that could be, it could be a situation where CJ, CJ is the best option because we, we need to maintain uh, some positive momentum. Uh, but on the inverse, you know, if we get, if the offensive line breaks uh, a little bit better this season than it did last season, when Colton has time, he looks good. Um, he's a guy who I'd really be concerned conditioning-wise and just long-term if he's having to to buy time uh, regularly throughout the season, like even the way Mason did last season. Um, I'd be really concerned with how Colton would be able to hold up with having his, you know, some injury issues anyway. Um, but I, I, I will tell you, no matter who is starting right now, um, I think Vandal's, Vandal fans should be real excited that we have what seems like a pretty deep uh, competition with, you know, some guys who look like they might be more ready to play now. And like you said, maybe CJ's our, our guy of the future, or maybe Nikhil makes a huge step forward, yeah. and he's our he's a two three year starter after this. We'll yeah. see. I think you're right though. This is the deepest we've been at quarterback in, gosh, I feel like a long time. I mean, even you're going back to probably Enderly and Brian Reeder being on the same teams. Um, but I mean, I think we're deeper than that, just in the terms that you have a guy even beyond reader that's you know better than what Taylor Davis was and Logan Bushnell. So uh, I I'm very happy. I think you've said it. Colton Richardson, in my opinion, is probably going to be your day one starter. He's proven to have a bit of an injury history, so it's nice to know that we have a guy like Mike Beaudry who should be ready to play and who could very well be the day one starter. Then you have a guy like Nikhil Nair who could take a huge step forward, who they do have a lot of promise on, who I don't think we should be sleeping on, even with C.J. Jordan coming into the fold. Um, and then you, you got a guy like Cisco, you got a guy like Freeze, they're back up. 
and, and like we said, CJ Jordan, if he needs to come in, we've got four games to use him. So I'm, I'm very happy with where our quarterback room is now. Um, Charlie Mulner has shown that he can work really well, especially when he has the guys for a couple of years. I mean, just look at Matt Linehan's progress from freshman to junior, or you know, freshman to sophomore to junior year. Uh, so you're going to be looking at you know a year four for uh, Colton. And you're going to be looking at year three for Nikhil. Those are years where usually Charlie Molner's gotten the guys under his skin because uh, Linehan was obviously it was his fourth year because he redshirted his freshman year. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about quarterbacks. But uh, I don't know if you've got any closing points before we close down the bar. We had some other news, but uh, it will all be relevant next week. <laughs> um, actually, the only real closing point, Eric, um, I'm curious about your take on you know let's say we rewind this to 1995 and 95 is the year we have the covid situation where um everything's just kind of turned upside down it's hard to have any idea like what your you know what the next three months will mean or if football season is going to be in february um i guess tell us what a 1995 uh er, how a 1995 eric high would have handled this well, I'm going through right now with my track kids, and it is eating me alive not being able to coach. It is it is like a bit big pit in my stomach. Um, the thing I love to do, I can't. Um, and I, you know, I, I I'm some kind of I guess kind of reference the seniors I've got on my team right now. Um, even my my oldest son's a junior, and uh, he's an 800 meter kid, four by four relay guy. And, I don't know. It's so hard to say to put yourself in those shoes because I'm 47, but you know, um, I just know you think about, you know, when I was a junior and we were, how we were awfully good my junior year. And, um, we were so excited to come back and play because we knew what we had in front of us and, and to have all that taken away, man, uh, it is, it is, it would just be heartbreaking. And we literally lived that this spring, you know, our guys team won a state title last spring in track and our girls were sixth. We were three points out of, out of fourth, um, and we brought a ton back. I think our guys might have had a chance to be in the top three to repeat, and our girls could have been top three. Um, and we had, you know, we had kids like all college kids. They work out all summer, and our kids work out all winter on their own. I can't coach them. Um, but the, the drive and the focus was, was so there this winter, and we get through two weeks of practice, and then boom, you know, the, the plug is pulled, and you can just see the – the heart ripped out of these kids and the emotion they, their senior year. And I, I don't know if, if I could put it in the perspective as a senior and a, and a 21, 22 year old kid, um, knowing how hard you work and the time you put in and, and the love for the game, because you know, the, the scholarship is awesome. Don't get me wrong, but you, you ain't playing it for money, <laughs> yeah. you know, for all intents and purposes, you know, um, it's cause you love the game and you love the people you're around and, um, those are the things you know that you, you talk about now as a coach that as kids you miss the bus rides and the locker room talks and the time between quarters and whatever it is or the time between events or watching kids and uh as a player you, you don't get those bus trips so when you're in NTA you're flying somewhere or overnight stays in the hotel and um the, the college campus feel after a win those things you don't get and it, it's a part of your life that you that you would miss dearly. And so uh, I sure hope for these kids that um, they get the chance to have a chance to play the game they love, whether it is fall soccer or volleyball or cross country, you know, or, or football, because uh, it means the world of those kids. And um, obviously I think our country is doing what is right for the health of our people and our nation. Um, 
and it is just a game, but man, it's it, it's the Olympics of these kids every single year because it's a lot. So many of them, it's the last time they'll ever get to do anything. Yeah. Um, and I, I I hope for their sake that they can keep some perspective on what's happening and why. But um, know that the, you know they can't stop working because there there's there's still a chance, and and that chance hopefully gets a little bigger as as time goes on. But man, it would be awfully hard as, as a senior thinking, man, am I going to get my last year? Because you just don't know right now. Yeah. Um, I think it's a great way to put it. You know, it's uh, everybody's making sacrifices. Um, yeah. But yeah, you got to think about. That's a good point. Some of these, the high school kids or people that are getting hit really hard by it. Cause just think back to your senior year, and I think same like you said for college for some of these spring sport kids. Like going into the year, I know some of them got granted re- eligibility in college, but like basketball players didn't from winter sports. And like you said, if you're a high school soft, uh, high school senior you're not going back like if you don't get a track scholarship or um, lacrosse scholarship or baseball scholarship like this could be you know your last time playing the sport you might have weren't even aware it was going to be your last time doing it so that's um, pretty crazy to think about but it is for uh we're doing it so hopefully for generations to come people can keep doing all these fun things that hopefully we just have to give up for a short amount of time in the grand scheme of things but absolutely um closing down the bar uh we finished our position spotlight we've we've rolled through all of them including specialists with uh austin rico and alex boatman that was a fun episode so uh, if you have questions on any position since we know quarterbacks are probably the one most people are tuning in for we've done them all so make sure you check them out they're all wherever you found this podcast uh eric before we let you go kind of let the people know what's i guess going on in your life normally and uh how that people can find you or get in touch with you or anything like that that you'd like to share. I know I'm married to my wife, Miss Friend. Uh, We've been number 23 this August, and uh, we've lived in Walla Walla um, now since we've been married. And um, we've both coached everything. She's been head volleyball coach and assistant head basketball coach. She's coached track for me, and I've coached basketball for her and coached football. Our our two sons are 17 and 18 or 17 and 15. Uh, They're both high school now and, and you, you talk about the, the tough thing is they both would have run track for me which has been off, just awesome as a dad yeah. um but they're both doing great in school and uh you know we're, we're in a pretty great town in, in the city of walla walla and it, we absolutely love it over here um but it's uh it's it's it, it, we're, we're very blessed right now to both be teaching uh, physical education at walla walla high school we're in this exact same gym amy and i are uh the kids are there and so it's a it's a pretty cool place to be right, right now but um you know we're uh I'm on you know, Twitter and, and Facebook and Instagram, and um, I don't post a whole lot, but I do post you know, here and there, and I, I look at things. But I'm uh, just coaching track right now. I gave up football a year and a half ago, and both kids came into school this fall as I just didn't want to miss anything. And, and my oldest son will be a junior, and he's now got one year left, and my youngest will be as a freshman. So uh, it's, it's kind of hard to think, believe that we'll only have uh, one here pretty soon, but we're enjoying the heck out of them. And uh, in you know, some ways, the, the double-edged sword, the, the blessings of being home together right now because – it's time we're getting now that we've never had before. So, uh, but we're great here. Um, uh, not much really to hang our head about. We're pretty fortunate to both have jobs and, uh, we are still doing school at home and, and homework and, and, and classes with kids, uh, teachers and our kids are up at eight 30 in the morning and they're doing homework during the day because, uh, we've been teaching online classes uh, since we've been out March 17th. And so our schedule really hasn't changed too much here, but, uh, we love what we're doing. Um, um, my wife's been incredibly supportive of me because for, for eight years I was a head football and head track coach. 
Um, and that's an awful lot of time. She's an amazing lady. And so, uh, we're, we're just forced to be healthy and happy and then, and love being a wall wall. All right. Well, we're happy to hear that. Uh, Brian, let the people know any closing thoughts from you before we we've closed down the bar. Oh man. Just hope, hope we get, really hope we have a season, man. That, that's the thing, man. If, if we have this season, all my grievances about how I wish maybe some things had done been different the last couple of years, I am ready to just let those go. Um, <laughs> But other than that, people know how to find me at Brian Marceau on Twitter. That's M-A-R-C-E-A-U. Yeah, and you can find me at Chris underscore P underscore Hammond. Uh, I want to thank everybody for coming on, especially or tuning in. And I want to thank Eric for coming on. Uh, It was great to have you on. Uh, I I know somebody actually when we were asking for questions said you're their favorite Vandal quarterback. So, um, wow. Yeah, so thank you, thank and you. I think you'll make that person happy, and hopefully this goes to show that uh, it was a good reminder for a lot of people out there that what we've kind of been preaching, the Vandals used to be really good. As you put it, they used to win a lot and throw the ball a lot. So I hope we get back to that. Uh, that way the best band in all the land can play us out even more and even prouder. The Sound of Idaho. Go Vandals. Go Vandals. Go Vandals.